4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, some football notes of the day. Bunch going on in college football and the NFL. You know, I did a I did a whole thing yesterday we were talking about all the coaching openings. Yeah. And uh, there was a story by Dennis Dodd on CBSSports.com. And I, I know, you know, he probably didn't write the headline. But a, a base, the basic premise was Florida may stick with Dan Mullen instead of firing him mm. because there aren't enough good candidates available, which is bunk. There's always good candidates available because the next people in line could be there for the job. Um, but the overriding theme should be if Dan Mullen is winning in general and has a down middle of one season, he probably shouldn't be fired. And it also goes the other way. Michigan state now is talking about an extension for Mel Tucker, who they hired last year. He got some transfers in last year. Remember after the year, people are like, man, this guy can't handle this level. This was a bad hire. He goes out and has a good season. Mostly because of transfers like Kenneth Walker to the third. And now they're talking extension. And this Willie, this is where college football and these universities get gross because what's going to happen. I'm not saying Mel Tucker is going to fail, but you could have a situation two years from now, just like you had with LSU. And I'm not saying Tucker is going to go crazy like Edo, but what you get is all these situations where the, the, the admin is like, please stay. And they extend them and give them this, ridiculous buyout and then two years from now he could be flopping and they're like oh we owe him 18 million dollars well you you didn't so how about just let him run out his contract and guess what happens if he leaves yeah get another coach it's freaking michigan state you know it's like do i understand why they did it at say utsa with jeff trailer where they bumped him from 900 grand to 2.8 million yeah they're trying to make the move up they want to play with the big boys you spend the money but my God, if Mel Tucker bailed, and he's already done it once, if he bailed for LSU or if Penn State opens or if USC comes calling or Washington wants him, then he goes and you get another coach. Stop with the 15 and $20 million buyouts and the 10-year contracts. It's, and it's... Yikes. It's, it's, it's just a way of athletics these days. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether it's pro Athletes, college coaches, it's It's just ridiculous. because The knee jerk on both sides. A guy starts losing for half a season or a season and a half. Get him out. A guy starts winning and others mention him in the rumor mill. Oh, we got to lock him up for 10 years. Stop all of this. Especially like you said, when you're dealing with a power five, a program that has history, a program that (laughs) if a vacancy comes up, if they they didn't extend him, it's not as if somebody's going to go, it's not like they're going to have a long. They're not going to have a long list of candidates to want to go coach Michigan State right. football. Right. I mean, uh, I'll tell you right now. Immediately, if Mel Tucker bailed like early this offseason and Fickle wasn't gone, I'd make a run at Luke Fickle. I'd make a run at Justin Fuente, who just got fired. I'd make a run at Tom Herman, who got fired last year. There, there's always someone who can coach your team, or there's the next hotshot coordinator. Everyone, freaking calm down. <laughs> Boy, I laughed last week. On the lead-in, I think it was, I think it was today, the last Wednesday, maybe it was last Thursday. Listen, I, I understand ESPN Radio National 
they get a little short on hosts sometimes, right? And then they turn to their fill-ins who are all New York-based. And I listened to back-to-back shows during the day and coming in before our show, and I swear to freaking God, like, they spent more than 10 minutes on both shows talking about Mike White and Zach Wilson and the Jets and a quarterback controversy. And I'm like, what are we doing? Those of us in the Pacific time, I'm a Jets fan. And I was like, stop talking about this. On top of that, no one around the country cares, cares. about the Jets. The other thing is, <laughs> there's no Mike White, Zach Wilson controvert. The one guy is like a 54th round pick who's a career backup. The other guy's a number two pick. And like they were giving serious time to this. And now what happens? Mike White throws four interceptions. Joe Flacco's a starter because Zach Wilson isn't ready. I mean, it's just some of the stuff we do on Sports Talk Radio. Jesus, just prep a little bit. And then you don't have to turn to your stupid hometown stories that the rest of the country doesn't give a rat's ass about. Yes, the New York-based that we don't have to hear if you want to talk about it. Like, if, 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 it, if it was us talking about a, contra- a goalie controversy or something, or, or, or well, yeah, but <laughs> oh, I would national. Do, oh, I would do, uh, in, back in the day when I filled in on, on Mad Dog Radio, I, yeah. oh, I couldn't do enough VGK Game 54 talk. No, it never happened. That, that would be stupid. No, the rest of the country doesn't care about the Jets. Nobody cares. Or Game nobody, Thirty-One of the NHL season, or Zach Wilson, or Mike White, or, or right. even to be honest with you, Joe Flacco. At this point, no. And, and now I'm ranting about it. And, I'm, and now we just wasted three minutes talking about it. I had, but I had a point out last week. I was like, stop, stop doing this right. to us in the freaking Vegas let's, market. Let's get a crunch. <laughs> Willie, Willie's like, all right, we're out of this. We're out of this. Wait a second. Okay, in Cleveland, <laughs> so they just got rid of Odell back. This is. Crazy. I haven't even seen this one yet. I'm doing this site on scene, right? I just talked about prepping. You're you're jerking my chain, right? This isn't happening with the Browns, is it? No, I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. Fresh off Odell Beckham Jr. being quote-unquote freed, Jarvis Landry is opening up his own offensive struggles this season, saying he has no idea why he hasn't been getting targets. I haven't been getting the ball so much either, Landry told reporters at his annual Thanksgiving food drive. But at the end of the day... I've been able to do with the opportunities I'm given. Okay. That's not too bad. But I was just kind of doing an impression of uh, Baker Mayfield, like the walking wounded with my left shoulder and Mm. like dragging a foot. Mm -hmm. Is there a time and a place for a receiver to complain? Like right now with Baker Mayfield, as blanked up as he is, do we really need to be talking about targets on a team that frankly, their bread is buttered running the ball, Jarvis Landry? Come on. Well, according to, to to Jarvis Landry, he's he's not trying to throw his quarterback under the bus. All right. Quote: He's a tough man, and he's doing all the things good, necessary good. to make sure that he cannot be, okay. can be out there with us as playmakers when the ball's in the air. We're doing our best. So maybe the underlying theme is the play calling. Who knows? But uh, I I saw this and I said we got to de- we definitely got to throw this in the crunch time because uh, it's just funny, be- you know, with Odell and now Jarvis. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. And off Charles Williams, off left tackle. Charles is in for a touchdown. And the Rebels have a lead. The chuck wagon, no stopping him there. He barreled right through a giant hole as the offensive line powered that one open for him on the left side. 
back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Rebel football with two wins in a row. You hear Russ Langer on the call there. The Chuck Wagon. And I tell you, one of these big runs, he uh, he pops off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be running along with him on the sideline. Uh, he hit 22 miles an hour on that 64-yard run. I think I can hit like seven miles an hour. Caleb, you see me run up and down the sideline to get injury updates. I'm pretty fast. Seven is being generous, man. I'm I'm sorry, Steve. I love you, but I don't even think you're getting seven. What am I? I, I don't know. I I don't want you to hurt yourself down there either, man. I come on. We need I'm you. Very careful. You're too valuable to the team. Very Caleb, careful. Caleb, you follow me on social media. We're friends on Facebook. We're friends on Instagram. We're friends on Twitter. You see my training regimen. Yeah. Where am I? Where am I? I where, think you're built for power, though. I don't I, know where you're I, getting the speed thing I, from. Be, you and Candy last year, we're gonna sprint it out. It never no, happened. No, 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 no. Time out. Yes. If we're gonna since you threw that in my face there, yes. sir. Remember, I'm cranky today. <laughs> yeah. Candy, you guys had this whole thing about Candy, and I kept tweeting. This was before I was part of in the cool crew. Point, yeah. And I was tweeting, going, Hey, put me in, I'll challenge him, I'll challenge him. And nobody ever replied to me. You know why? Because everybody knew I would have kicked his ass in a 40. This is this is a tradition. We talk about stuff on the air and it never comes to fruition. That's all. Uh <laughs> let, let's talk about Charles and and his motivation now, because he seems to have different drive for every single game in terms of coming up with something. The guy's over four thousand yards now. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's a he, he's what you want to like, and this is like coach talk. He's what you want to build a program around, like the work ethic, the motor, the determination, the the actual ability. Obviously, he's he's gifted, um, but then he works on top of it, and that's when you get thirty eight carries in the game, and your last carry is a forty seven yard touchdown. That's that's different. That's beast mode to the ninth degree, right? Like he's he's in it for all the right reasons. He's motivated. He works hard. Every single day that he puts the pads on, he's going to be the hardest working guy on the field. Um, and then on top of that, he's talented as well. So, I mean, this guy's he's he's a horse. He's a workhorse. And there's no other way to put it. He's he's earned a nod from the next level, if nothing else, a chance to, to show what he can do. But, my God, what the, he's going to go down in history as one of the best running backs in UNLV history, arguably the best, if, if you want to just go on what he did in his career here. Are you talking about being one of the best? Uh this, this is one of my favorite games for UNLV football because of a couple of the coaches over at San Diego State, that being Jeff Horton, my guy. I remember when he won the Big West title with the Rebels and, of course, Hunky Cooper, one of the greatest all-purpose players and arguably the greatest arena football player. Um, this year I'm really looking forward to it. I'm covering the game for the Associated Press, Caleb. How has UNLV, how have you, you've seen them day in, day out practice, you call the games uh, with Russ, they finally have figured out how to play 60 minutes of football. When did this click? Uh, well, well, first, I'm going to say they really still haven't put 60 minutes together. Um, they won, but the last game, the first quarter was abysmal. I mean, especially from an offensive standpoint. Um, and New Mexico, even, they got off to a, a rough start there. So it hasn't even been a full 60 yet, but they have figured out how to, how to not finish. buckle under pressure, how to finish. And that's the most important thing. They're finishing games the right way. Um, finishing, I guess, with your pads going forward is the way that you would you would say that. But they're they're putting out their best efforts in the end of the games, and I think that's the difference. I think uh, you know health has something to do with that. Having guys back last week, especially, had a lot to do with that. Um, the rotation's a lot deeper than it was, say, you know, week one or week two. Um, but I, I really think it's just practice. I, a lot of guys that haven't won before at the college level and didn't really understand what it takes. Most of the guys that are playing right now that are, that are key contributors on the field 
literally have not won, had not won a college game until New Mexico. And you think about that and it's like, that's, that's the truth. And you don't, you're you to always be the excuse, but there was nobody really outside of Charles Williams and, you know, a couple guys on the offensive line that had won a game as a rebel um, it, of note. I, you know, when you think about it, uh, I mean, Jacoby Winman, he's, he's got wins under his belt um, previously, but um, as a leader of the team, no, he hasn't been in that role yet. So when you're looking around and you're relying on guys, they have, there's a learning process. Unfortunately, they weren't able to come up with some close wins, some some wins where the ball falls away early in the season. But yeah. in all honesty, it's just keep knock chipping away at the thing. And that's when I look at this team, I'm saying that's that's what I there's nothing different about them these last two weeks. They're they're still a competitive team. They fight, they play hard. Um, some of the same flaws that you see, some of the same positives that you see. The short yardage uh stops on defense, one of the things that's been common all season long. Um, inability to have a consistent passing and that's still something that's plaguing them right now but it's the same team they just somehow found the grit to muster out wins at the end and are learning what it takes and to the tune of a, a two-game win streak right now you talked about the games that it didn't go their way but there's probably at least five games in which you could say this team was on the brink of or right there could have won which means this team could have easily had seven wins by now What's been the one consistent area in those five wins that it's done, it did its part, but there were other areas that didn't get it, how to close, how to finish, and that it did in its two wins that it will be able to use as its foundation to somewhat, you know, challenge, if it can, San Diego State? Well, to I guess there's three things that I would say you say are, are winning formula to football, and it's kind of as old as the game itself, where you say you got to be able to run the ball, stop the run, and convert on third downs. Of those three things, UNLV has always, this season I should say, has been consistently good, not the best, but good against stopping the run. Mm -hmm. um, they've been able to take away some dynamic running backs. Uh, I know McCormick at UTSA is one of the most uh, the, the most uh, highly touted all-purpose running backs. They were able to keep him under 100 yards. There's other times throughout the season, I namely last, uh, the last couple of games, where they've been able to hold solid rushing teams. And, you know, Hawaii's not as touted as they are, but Day-Day Hunter is a guy in Hawaii that's unusually good and keeps their offense unusually balanced for a Hawaii team, but he was a non-factor essentially in that game. So their ability to stop the run, and more importantly, stop the run in short, critical situations where runs are obvious, I think has been the one thing that's been consistent all season long. And whether or not they're winning those games or not, um, it's it's been the run defense, I think, that's been the most consistent thing. And part of that's because of the personnel that was hurt. You got Phillip Hill and Noel Williams in the secondary. That'll make you, you, you a lot worse against the pass. But then you look at the front seven and the two guys who until a couple weeks ago, Austin Ajike, Austin Ajike and and uh, <laughs> and um, the linebacker, the front seven have been absolutely studs as far as stopping the run. But you got guys like Kyle Bougie who step up, uh, Jacoby Women, who's been basically in every play at linebacker. They've been good against the run. They've been that's I think the strength of their team is their run defense. Now, converting on third down came along, and that's probably why the last two weeks they got the wins because they were able to convert on third down a lot better. Um, so, but I think if you're gonna, if I'm answering your question, the most consistent thing that's been there through wins and losses this year was their ability to stop the run when it's necessary. And you know, holding to Hawaii to 240 yards of total offense, well under 400 yards per game average was was impressive. Was that probably the most complete defensive performance of the season? There's no doubt to me. I, I think, in my opinion, and then you look at the situations that they were put in defensively, especially like I said in that first quarter, where the offense, you know, two interceptions, a fumble, 
they gave basically gifted field position inside the 40 yard line a couple of times and gave up nothing two field goals is all is really all that came of all the turnovers um after that big play on the first play of the game where it's like you know I know a lot of fans and myself included being somebody who's been around the program and if you see something like that and he goes here we go again especially with this Hawaii team it's like you know that's 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 signs of what's going to come the rest of the game but they locked in and and pitched what was I think their best defensive performance uh, of the season as far as a, a total game that was three quarters of of solid three and a half quarters really of solid defensive football um against a team in Hawaii like you said 400 yards of total offense per game is nothing to shake your head at um well under their total point average too on the season um so I, I think that was a, a I in my opinion defensively their best performance um and it was I guess necessary because of how the offense struggled out of the gates and they have offensively struggled out of the gates the past three weeks it hasn't been pretty on the offensive side um, but they're able to gut it out with the help of their defense and, and come out on top these last two weeks. All right, so since the end of the Sanchez era into the Arroyo era, the, the selling point has been the facility, playing in Allegiant Stadium. Now we're seeing improved play. We're seeing inspired play. We're seeing improvement in specific units. Now Marcus Arroyo has two wins to his credit. Um, how important for program building, recruiting, is it to finish the season strong in the win column? It's big. I think that's what a lot of that's the first thing, you know, first impressions happen um, when you when you, you a program knocks on your door. There's a first impression. What do you know about them? And, and honestly, a lot of kids in the college football landscape probably don't know much about UNLV football. And that's fine. That's that's kind of the, the, the toil of being the underdog. But then you have to have a first impression. And usually when, you know, somebody types in the first impression of a team on Google or let's say, however, you know, high school kids research their 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 suitors in college. Right. Um, the record is what pops up first. And you look and you see a team with, with zero wins up there. That You're already fighting up an uphill battle as a recruiter or, or as Coach Arroyo said in the living room, you know, trying to convince this kid to come to your program and you haven't got a win yet. That's a tough sell. Um, so any wins obviously make it better. But I think winning late, um, somebody used to say, and this is, I don't know when this saying originated, but the games they remember are played in November. Um, and though that is true because if you finish with some momentum, you, you know, you end the season, let's say, ideal situation on a four-game winning streak um what have you done for me lately well we started off rough we have our reasoning for that but when the finished product's on the field you say we're a four-win team you know mm -hmm. we got those four wins in a row consecutively and if you're talking about the rest of the schedule against a, a ranked san diego state team we beat them a, a solid air force team we beat them as well you, you finish the season with those kind of wins that's some big momentum going into an early signing week in december that's Definitely. big momentum going to the recruiting trail into February and on, and on and on and on. So, and then to add to that, you say the guys that are coming back, like we've been talking about how young the roster is all season long, but the guys that are coming back, you have to re-recruit them as well. And as some Coach Arroyo said, you have to keep them engaged with things like the transfer portal now being a temptation. Those guys now winning four games and having the feeling of celebration in the locker room, um, having the community rally around them in some aspects of, of the winning uh, and having people have higher aspirations and expectations of the program for the season to come, those things keep people engaged in the locker room on the team as well. So um, to defend against a transfer portal, you can imagine being a backup at a team that didn't win a game and wanting to get out of Dodge as quick as possible. So I think there's all kinds of reason now that winning late is important, but especially with the spot that this program's in, I think it, it definitely has an impact on recruiting and keeping guys in the locker room engaged in what you're trying to build. All right, talk about you know, closing strong, especially against a ranked San Diego State team. We've seen this team play ranked teams at the time that they played them, no matter how it panned out for those ranked teams. 
Do you think the Rebels match up with San Diego State, and how do you see the game unfolding? What do you think is necessary for them to pull off the upset? And and people may scoff at that notion, but San Diego State could possibly overlook this team. What do the Rebels need to do? Well, I think they need to do what they've done all year. And I said it earlier that their best, I think, most consistent um, facet or, or skill has been able to stop the run. And that's essentially what San Diego State does. They run the ball effectively. They keep control of the game. They they dominate physically. And then they win ugly games. I mean, it's it's not like they're out here blowing people out 50 to nothing or, or, or have this high-powered offense that's lighting up the scoreboard. They, they have won some very ugly games. One of the most ugly games. I, I don't think they scored a touchdown in the game until overtime was against San Jose State. Yeah. Um, and you watch that battle, um, and it's just basically a battle of wills up front. And and like I said before, and I've tweeted this out, and it might have seemed crazy to people, um, but I think UNLV does actually match up well with San Diego State. I, I think their their strengths defensively are match up, and it's kind of going to be an, un, an an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. And I'm not saying you know UNLV's defensive line or front seven is an un, an immovable object or anything like that, but they that's their strength, and they they would welcome an engagement up front in a physical battle like that is kind of the mentality I've gotten from this team all season long with the way Jacoby flies around with how Kyle Buju stepped up with the way they're physical, even in the secondary now with Noel Williams and Phillip Hill back it, it, I don't know if they can keep the game ugly and, and keep, you know, San Diego state from converting third downs, maybe even get out to a lead offensively and, you know, jump out on San Diego state, get them out of their comfort zone, force them to throw the ball. You see what happens when teams are out of their element i.e. New Mexico a couple weeks ago. When New Mexico had to throw the ball, it was pretty much curtain closed for, for that ball game because that wasn't their style. Similarly, I think the Rebels would have to do something like that to San Diego State, get them behind the chains a lot, um, get them behind on the scoreboard, and maybe have to win a 21-14 ball game. It, it could be something like that, but I think the matchup actually looks good for UNLV, especially considering, like you said, the talent they've played. A ranked opponent isn't something that they're unfamiliar with. They're not going to be over-nervous for the situation. They're going to be looking at them like a, a winnable game, especially considering they've been within a touchdown of knocking off other ranked opponents. So I'm actually excited for the matchup. It, it's a good test to finish the season. It's going to be a highly motivated San Diego State team um, and a UNLV team that's riding some momentum right now, trying to knock off the big dogs. Caleb Herring with us, former UNLV quarterback analyst on UNLV football games on radio and one of the hosts of the Marcus Arroyo radio show. Um, Let's close on this. We got about a minute left. College football playoff rankings. Uh, we all know Oregon's probably going to lose this weekend to Utah. So then, well, tell me if you agree with that. First of all, and then who's going to slide in at the end of the day? Who's going to slide in into that four slot if Ohio State is in the three with Alabama and Georgia ahead of them? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I do think I, I don't think Oregon's going to lose, but I do think Utah it has a potential. I think Oregon will lose again because they have the potential to not play only play Utah this week, but even in the Pac-12 championship. So they may lose yep. uh, one of those times to Utah. And I, I think Utah is an underrated team because of what they've been through as a program. Got a player death this year, and just the focus was not football for much of the season. So for them to be where they are is kind of impressive on their, from their standpoint. Um, but, no, I think, you know, Cincinnati obviously would be the obvious pick for me. If, if any of the top four fall out for, for another loss, I think uh, Cincinnati gets in. But I think – it will be a hard sell if it's Oregon that has that loss, right? I mean, because then you have the argument for a Michigan or a Michigan State to get in. Now, Michigan State won't be, or Michigan maybe beats Maryland, but then loses to Ohio State. So still, since he has a chance to get in, I think you've been making that argument all, all, all along, is that somebody in the top four is going to take another lump and they're going to fall out. And that's when since he's going to slide in. So if it is Oregon this time around, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Cincy slides into that number four spot. All right, Caleb. I'll see you on Friday. Good job. All right, man. Take care. Have a good one. There he is, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, senior night at Allegiant this Friday. Number 23, San Diego State is in town. Uh, you got the late night senior celebration, kickoff set for 830. You got the Rebel Seniors being honored and the Super Seniors as well. They'll be recognized on the field before the game. Rebel Village, Fan Zone, and Lot C opens up at 6 o'clock. And uh, you've got music and then food and drinks out there for purchase, activities for the kids, no charge to enter the Fan Zone. And remember, tickets to the game start as low as $44 each. Uh, and if you haven't seen Allegiant, this is your chance to go and watch a good football game at Allegiant Stadium this Friday, 8.30 start, UNLV against San Diego State. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. C'è la luna e mezzo mare, mamma mia, me mare da te. Right, before we get to the Pat Pack, we got an update on uh, Golden Knights and a developing COVID situation. So now what's happening, Willie? Well, we have William Carrier. We had Jonathan Marchesaw. Now Mike Amadio is in COVID protocol. They uh, canceled media availability today. And then we just got an updated email. No morning skate, no pregame media availability tomorrow. Um, I reached out to one source just in case because the latest COVID NHL outbreak has canceled several games for the Ottawa Senators. And I just wanted to make sure say, hey, no games not being affected. And not that I'm aware of. So cross your fingers. Game game is still scheduled for tomorrow night, which of course you can listen to on our sister station with Dan Duba. Golden Knights and Detroit Red Wings, but no morning skate, no pregame media availability. Uh, they can't, like I said, they canceled. So I, I'm assuming it's basically to scour the facility and get everybody tested, get that, get the get the focus there, and make sure. Because let's not forget last year when Thomas Nosek was pulled from the bench in the middle of a game, and you know, so I mean, you're sweating, you're spitting. You're on the bench. That's close contact. Still haven't figured out how the heck they they did. You know, earlier this year, a couple of days after uh, playing the Blues, Brandon Sad was in COVID protocol. He tested positive. You just played a game, and you're 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 checking into the boards. You're in the you know I I, I don't get I don't know what they determine close contact. I mean, you know, so neither here nor there. It looks like the Golden Knights are playing things safe, making sure everything's copacetic going into tomorrow night's game against the Red Wings. Today is National Baklava Day. Baklava. You guys are both fired up. Oh, yeah. Are we doing a whole thing here on yeah, you, what you, you're going to call Middle Eastern food? You might as well just take a back seat today there, buddy. Ari, where you at? Get the mic. I told you in our buildup for this for today that, that we are going to argue why Middle East, homemade, authentic Middle Eastern food. There really is nothing. now, And, and I love Italian. People mistake it all the time i don't know if it's mannerisms what it is but they think that i'm gonna have italian but i am not it's true i have half colombian half lebanese that being said love love authentic middle eastern food uh agreed and yeah i just that was a revelation i've known you maybe five six years now just realize that lebanese that's cool very cool 
I love it. I love it. I'm still picky, but the cool thing is for me, a lot of this stuff is not bland, but it's not it's not crazy rich or with a million different things. Very, you know, so well, it's, it's a very distinct. There are very distinct seasonings and flavors that are used. Things that you would not use, you know, Italian food, you know, uh, uh, Latin foods. There are things that you would use to spice up those, but you you may use them in other dishes. You may use them in your everyday cooking. There are certain things that you use in cooking Arabic food, uh, Middle Eastern food, Greek foods, if you're doing it properly, that you're not necessarily going to use in your everyday cooking. And, you know, um, some... For instance, you know, the, the sp specific spices you're going to use in what's called kibbe, which is a, a meat pie, um, or or in kefta. Kefta is like almost like a a, a lamb, a mix of a lamb and a, and a high quality ground beef mix that you, gr you grind up, mix with fresh parsley and, and specific seasonings, and then you turn it into a sausage, right? A log, you put it on a skewer and you grill it. Um, and then, of course, your, there's your side dishes with hummus and tabule mm. and then the stuffed grape leaves and yogurt and cucumbers with the fresh mint and tons and tons of garlic. Um, baba ganoush and falafel. Uh, fatouche is a specific salad. So, I, I mean, That's if I way. find authentic places in town, I'm, I'm all, I don't care about where I'm. There is a place right up the street from the studio from, from Lotus. Matter of fact, it's tucked away. I want to say it's on Flamingo and El Capitan and it's just tucked away and it's, I think it's billed as a bread store, but they actually have a menu. And I went in there one day because right around the corner, I was getting some massage and cupping therapy and I had like 45 minutes to kill. And I went in there and I saw the menu. I was like, are you kidding me? And I told them what time I'd be done. And when I got back, they had a whole platter ready for me waiting. I sat there. It was fantastic. And of course, homemade, Fresh baked, baked pita bread, so you really can't beat it. Yeah, I I can't disagree with most of the stuff. I will say, once you got to the uh, cucumbers and yogurt, that is when my uh, picky tastes kind of sets in. But I can eat hummus and tabbouleh like literally all day long, nonstop. He's a very exciting man. Yes, yeah. all right, he's a very exciting man. That's right. I, I, I just looked at a list of seventeen traditional Lebanese dishes, and I'm like, all seventeen, I'm good. <laughs> Coalfield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting. 364-1100-364-1100. Some more VIP table giveaways. You get a uh, bucket with that. Free entry for yourself and uh, three others. Fox Sports Radio partying with Greg Salerno. Right after the big game across from Allegiant Stadium. It's the closest spot to party right near Allegiant Stadium. You walk across the street. Um, if you don't want to win one of these VIP packages... Just have a ticket in hand. An admission is free. The kitchen will be open. Their kitchen is dynamite. Happy hour drink specials as well. Great after party. Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club right across the street from the Raiders as they play the Bengals. Caller 6 and 7. You get the VIP treatment from Ari. 364-1100. All right, let's get out to the Westgate. Let's talk a little CFP and also some NFL odds as Rex Byers is in from the Westgate. Rex, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, gentlemen. How are things? We're awesome. So let's get into the latest rankings with the CFP. We've got uh, Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincy, Michigan, Michigan State. And uh, now that they've tightened this thing up a little bit, if, the, if these were the semifinals, they actually 
Well, they might not be competitive games, but the lines are closer. Okay. Yeah, fire, 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 out, fire out the matchups, and I'll, I'll give you what I think. So Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, Oregon. All right. Um, so Ed and I's numbers are pretty close on most of these things. A few of them are a little bit different, but, you know, Ed Sammons makes this thing Georgia 8, and I make it 6.5, and, and I think it would come somewhere between us. I think seven's probably where we would start and let him figure it out from there, maybe even 7.5, depending on whether he wanted to ride a bet on the dog first with a favorite. Alabama, Oregon, I'm seeing a lot of people saying it's 14. That's that's ballpark. I make it pretty close to that. He makes it a little bit higher, but I think he's a little bit more anti-Oregon than I am. I'm guessing we probably start that thing closer to 16 and then let him figure it out from there. But I, I'm not nearly as pro-Alabama as he is either. I, I don't think that's even going to be a matchup that's played because I think Georgia will run him off the field in SEC championship, and it'll be a moot point. I think the Vegas top four, and you tell me if I'm off here, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan, and believe it or not, then a lot of people are very high on teams like Wisconsin, uh, Cincinnati maybe a little further back, and Oregon might not even be in the top ten with the power rankings. It depends. You know, like Ed's got whiskey pretty high, and then you got him a little above Cincinnati and then A&M Oklahoma for him, and kind of a drop to Ole Miss, Utah, Florida, whereas I've got Utah a little higher. And, uh, you know, with you know Oklahoma State, Oklahoma pretty close there. Then I actually have Notre Dame right there with Cincinnati or even a little above them at this point, power rating-wise. Remember, let's kick everything else that's happened on the field out of the, out of the equation. But, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's how you see things. Basically, it's, I think it's important to see that the top four really don't matter. There's been a three teams that have distinguished themselves pretty substantially from everybody else. Georgia's clearly the best team. Alabama's clearly the second-best team. And there's a drop-off to Ohio State after that. And then there's another drop-off to everybody else. Okay, looking ahead, how big is Ohio State-Michigan next week? Uh, we actually opened that game today. Uh, we got Ohio State as a six-point favorite. I made the game six-and-a-half. Ed went ahead with six. Uh, I figure that's a good starting point. We'll let them figure out what they want to do from there. Uh, I know right now you don't have Georgia-Alabama SEC title matchup potentially. Um, mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen Georgia minus three and three-and-a-half. That's that's then you're right between us. It makes three, I make four. So, you know, we're in the ballpark. I would if I were booking this thing with my own money and I'd set the start it somewhere, I would just open a three and a half and let them figure it out. As a better in either one of those games, would you take the dog, Bama, would you take Michigan? Uh hang on, which oh well, either of those two games. Yep. Uh Michigan at home, I can make a case for for covering six just because I think Ohio State defense is trash. And Michigan's going to have to stay on the field, but they're going to figure out how to score touchdowns. It ain't going to work by going down there and kicking field goals because Ohio State always scored points against Michigan. This year should be no different. But, uh, you know, it's a lot. It's a big number, but I think if Michigan can control the clock and keep the game a little bit lower scoring, six becomes a lot more important, you know, in a game that's played in the 50s than it is in the 70s. And in the other game, I, I've already told you, I just think that Georgia's clearly that much better than everybody else. They, they had to play from behind a little bit last week, kind of like the first time all year. I think it was like a good prep to show that they really. Are there now? Is Tennessee any good? Probably not. But uh, you know, I just like I said, I'm not sold on Alabama. This addition to me seems clearly notches below some of the previous six to eight years. So uh, I think Georgia covers fairly comfortably at any number, really. I want to get to the NFL here in a couple minutes, but first on the NBA and the NHL. First, National Basketball Association. What's going on with the players right now and the Lakers? Well, it's actually comical at this point. I was just talking to Jeff Sherman. He's enjoying the start of his weekend, I think, at this point. And I was just kind of, give me up to speak because today's my Monday morning. You know, so like, okay, where are we at? What's happened with the basketball? What's happened to everything else? And, you know, he, he says right now, currently the Lakers are 6-1 to one to win the title at, at the highest other price in town. Like he's, he looked around and he couldn't find anything higher. 
we're currently dealing 12 to 1. Basically, Lakers, as, uh, uh, Sherman as a fan, is mocking his own team, saying the Lakers have zero chance to win the championship at this point. And he just he can't get it because I can't get a bet. So we're literally giving away the Lakers here at the Westgate, and uh, nobody seems interested at this point. So I guess he'll continue to raise them until finally someone bites. But, you know, you, you've seen enough of this for now. I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to miss the playoffs, but I don't blame him for trying to get somebody to bet. Right. Uh, NHL, I mean, you're not going to do the same for the Golden Knights because you know you're pounded with action. Where are you guys on the Knights for the title? Because it's kind of amazing with all the injuries. You have a lot of the talking heads out there talking it, about the Knights it, as, uh, you know, a, a middle-of-the-road team right now in the NHL. You can look at all the power rankings, ESPN and Athletic and this, that, and the other, and they're right about what's happening right now. But the difference is in hockey, the, eight, the seven and eight seeds in the playoffs can actually win the championship. Basketball, clearly that doesn't happen. Um, it's a stagnant market, basically, but they have to be artificially low here at eight to one, um, just because of the injuries and and the fact that they're critical players. And quite frankly, I mean, they're probably going to do lots of circum- circumvent the salary cap, much like Tampa Bay did last year. It's a copycat league, just like all these other major sports that yeah. worked for them. Why wouldn't they try to do the same thing with Eichel and whoever else? Just get to the playoffs. That's the only objective. And then when you get there, anything can happen. But we've got Florida at eight, Colorado at seven, Knights at eight, and everybody else is all double digits or higher. So we clearly think that those three teams are better than the rest of them or will be. And that's what we have to, to, to play for because it's no good to put the Knights up at 20 to 25, which is what their probable odds in theory should be right now. But all you're going to do is get blasted with Knights action. There's no need to give it away. At some point when these guys get healthier, the true price is going to be closer to what we have. Rex Byers with us from the Westgate. We're out at the Westgate 8 a.m. Sunday football preview show. Again, that's Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning before Football Central opens up in the theater at 9 a.m. So let's talk about where the money is, where the sharps are. Uh, NFL Week 11. First of all, uh, tomorrow's game, Patriots 7 against the Falcons. Yep, this is a game we had four on the look ahead and opened Sunday at 6. It's been bet up, mostly public support for the Patriots to the 7-ish range. I think it'll be just a mix of public money in that area, and then the wise guys are almost for sure going to be on the dog at some point if they're not already. I'm sure that they're probably trying to wait out the best number they can take, and I can't see this game closing any higher than seven. I would be surprised. As a matter of fact, it might even go down. There might be enough sharp money that markets force back down and give the public a better number to lay them low. And we got a bunch of two-and-a-halves, which is always intriguing. Packers two-and-a-half <laughs> at the Vikings. No, another game here. Look ahead was three. We opened two-and-a-half on Sunday, and we actually were down to two just based on uh, really the, we have to look and see what, what, do, we, what do we think about where, where we're at with both these teams. And I think Minnesota has been fairly impressive lately. and uh, It's just one of those games there's really not much to it, so we're just kind of testing the water. I'll, I'll, you know, we'll play around between two and two and a half if there's not much happening just to see if anybody's interested on either side. Cardinals two and a half, Seahawks. That's a game we opened two and a half, and then we got sharp bets on the uh, favorite up to three, and then we're back to two and a half with good resistance on the dog. So good two-way game, and we figure out the number at this point. I think that we, we're, we're all kind of thinking that Murray's going to go, and at some point the line's going to go up here. So if you're kind of on the fence on this game and you can lay two and a half and you like the favorite, I would lay it now because I think that we will see three again, and it probably would close three. That's uh, just if I had to take a fairly educated guess at it. Is anyone firing on the Raiders getting a point at home against the Bengals? You know, it's funny. There's not much interest in that game at all. We opened pick, and then we went to – I think Sherman was, was in here. He made the Bengals one just based on the fact that he likes them a little bit more than, than we do. But I think everybody kind of consensus in the room, John and Ed, and I all thought the pick was the number there. Um, but there hasn't been much interest in that game at all. That's kind of a surprise. But at the same time, they like to bet against the Raiders when they're catching points. They like to bet on the Raiders when they're catching points. So it's just – well, I'm sorry. When the, when the, they like to bet the underdog period in the Raider games. 
So it's one of those so close to a pickup now that I really don't know if they're going to wait until it gets closer if something comes out injury-wise. But something's going to have to happen there to get that thing off of where it is because right now the volume on that game is extremely low compared to what we usually get for Raider right. Another two-and-a-half with the Chiefs at home against Dallas. Uh, this is a game that, yeah, we had we opened it up, pick them on Sunday afternoon. But remember, we're the first one to open up the NFL, and uh, that was our number before the Chiefs played on Sunday night. Obviously, you know, you see people, you see their aha moment with the Chiefs again, maybe, and you know, you have to be kind of cautious of that. And that's one of those where it was one and a half, and we thought, well, two, and then Ed's just like, let's get to two and a half now. That's going to be the number. And I think that we sort of kind of agreed, and the market has as well, that two and a half is the price there. You're going to get good two-way. And uh, Sherman likened this to like a Super Bowl type thing where you're going to get all the KC money at minus two and a half. And, you know, the Dallas money will come on the money line with them trying to win the game. So one or two would probably be a pretty good result for most of the sports books in town. I would be remiss to say that NBC is doing everybody a colossal disservice if they're able to have moved this game and taken it and flexed it and put the Sealer game back in the morning or wherever they could have far, far away from everybody's TV on Sunday night. Uh, kind of a tough beat for everybody. They're not getting to watch this game on Sunday night. Uh, last one. Did you guys repost the uh, Lions at 016 and one prop after you had the 017, 0 and 17 prop? It is up, and I believe that the, the, at this point it's uh, minus a thousand, and it come yeah. back six fifty. So I think it's back up again. I was joking that we should make it a three way. But what about, what about at the 0, 15 and two? Can we can we deal that? <laughs> and uh, you know, I got I got a couple of laughs from people, but unfortunately, that's that's one of those things. It's like no one really would would bet that. You know, you want to just be a yes no, keep it simple for the players. So yeah, so let's back up. All right, Rex. We appreciate it. Real good spot. Thank you. Really, Steve. Take care. See you guys later. There he is. Rex Byers down at the Westgate. We're at the Westgate on Sunday mornings with the Sunday football preview show. We're there from 8 to 10. The show is on from 8A to 9A. All the last second line movements, all the injuries, and we head into Football Central where they've got the 1500-seat theater smoke-free. By the way, instead of waiting on lines, get the Westgate app. That makes life easier. So get down there, sign up for the Westgate app, and take care of business, and then you're good to go on Sunday. And stop by and say hi. We've got T-shirts and some prizes as well. We'll see you out at the Westgate on Sunday morning inside the Superbook. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.